Good morning. So I have a question for you as uh, we get started here with the sermon. Are there any priests that are here today? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got a couple of brave souls willing to claim that title. For the rest of you, um, and, and I'm not making this up, so you might want to turn there with me, but you could look at 1 Peter, toward the back of the New Testament, chapter 2 and verse 9. But you, and here Peter is talking to um, anyone who believes in and follows Jesus as Lord and Savior, so... This you is you, is us, right? Okay. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hmm. (laughs) See what that's saying? Like, Part of what we believe that that is saying to us is that since Jesus came, we don't have to operate under the old system where you had to bring your sacrifice to the priest, but every baptized believer becomes, like we have that function with one another. We can be priests for each other. Okay? Anyone else now think, okay, maybe I might be inclined or to be included in that label if that's how we're going to define things. But maybe before you're ready to do that yet, let's talk a little bit about what the priests were responsible to do. Uh, First of all, the priests would represent the people of God before God. And as I said, most typically in that process of offering sacrifices. Um... Hebrews 5, verse 1, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay? So this was part of it, and we don't know that we want to get into the whole sacrificial system and an explanation of all the different kinds of sacrifices and what was going on there, but particularly... um, Sacrifices were a way for people to acknowledge what they have done to hurt their relationship with God in a, in a sin offering, right? So if I've done something to Susanna, I can say I'm sorry. Hopefully you'll receive that and forgive me. But if I do something to show that I'm sorry, if I give up something that's important to me just to show how serious I am about that, that probably carries a little more weight than just the word itself, right? So if I give up, if I sacrifice something, we, we are showing our repentance, right? And in some ways, we come to talk about Jesus, sacrifice who is offered on our behalf. You know, that, that we don't have to pay that price because Jesus has paid it for us. Second thing I want to notice is that the priests were also to serve as role models and to teach the people about God, Uh, Leviticus 10.11. These priests were appointed so that you can teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. But like I said, we're not under that system today. There was a big change that came 
when Jesus arrived, right? And so Hebrews also talks then about Jesus being for us our high priest, right? He is the one who represents us before God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. So Jesus was not only the one to offer the sacrifice, but he himself became, was the sacrifice. Right? And for that reason, we don't need somebody else to mediate between us and God. We can go directly to God through Jesus because he serves in that role as our high priest. We don't need someone, we believe we don't need someone else to do that on our behalf. We can approach God through Jesus directly. Okay? And as we read here in 1 Peter 2.9, if we are a chosen race, uh, you know, God's people that he has called together to, uh, to serve him, to love him, uh, if we are also then a royal priesthood of having this function with one another, that we intercede for each other before God. Like, we don't have to have a special person. Sorry, Eric, I'm, I'm not trying to get you out of a job or anything, but this is part of the problem, too, in the church, especially North America today. Sometimes we would rather pay the pastor to do all the stuff instead of realizing, well, no, that's not just for the pastor to do. If we all have this function, we all have this priestly role to serve one another, to encourage one another, to help one another learn what it means to follow God, we shouldn't just be putting things, you know, lengthening his job description all the time. But we have this responsibility, too, to do that one for, one for, for each other, right? We don't just have to go to Eric and I have something to confess. Now, you can do that, and he's willing to do that. He's very open to that. But we can also do that for one another. Because we have that access to God because of what Jesus did for us. Okay? Now, here's the other part of this, all right? So hopefully you've come with me so far, right? Um, Peter's not talking about any old priesthood, but a royal one, it says. We as Christians are a kind of holy nation, like I said, a chosen people that God has called together in the church. And God always intended that his people, look at the promises to, to Abraham in the Old Testament, that his people would be a witness, would be an example to the rest of the world, that people would look at, other people would look at God's people and say, wow, God must be with them because of how they live and, and how he walks with them, the things that he does for them, right? Like, so it's not just about us, but we have this responsibility to live in such a way before other people that it shows God's presence with us, shows others who God is. And if we look here one more time, 1 Peter 2.9, your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim 
the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like this just isn't only for our own good. Like it is that, but the why is so that you can proclaim. (laughs) You can tell others about what God has done for us, right? Um, Adding that part onto it sort of transforms that priestly role a little bit, I think. It takes some of the focus off of like priests who are only attending to internal matters of the people or, you know, what we need here within the family of God to emphasize our calling to be a witness to the God who saved us, who called us out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And we can't talk about the priesthood of all believers unless we also talk about the mission of all believers. What do you think about that statement? So that leads to another question. How many missionaries are here? (laughs) Yeah, you're on to me by now, right? (laughs) Like, okay, yeah. Uh, Yes, that's part of our calling, right? Like, it's not only for those people who we send to faraway places to meet people who have, have never heard of God before in that place. And we should still support them, by the way. That's still uh, God-honoring work. That's still important work. But again, just like sometimes we want to just pay the pastor and say, hey, you take care of all this when we're really called, all called to do that for one another. We shouldn't just you know, send money to missions overseas or pay missionaries to do work that we are also called to here, right? Um, And again, for me, this is where it gets a little tougher. (laughs) Because as hard as it is to think of myself as a priest, for me, it's even harder to think about myself as a missionary. Anybody else sort of relate to that a little bit? I mean, I can pray for others in the church. I can care for others in the church. I can serve them. I can encourage them, I think. I hope, but a missionary. Me? I mean, I don't have the training or the eloquence to be able to convince others to follow Jesus. I'm no Billy Graham or famous evangelist, right? And I'm certainly not an apostle Paul. Like, I don't belong in that category. But why is it such a challenge? And I I don't know if this is true for you, but... For me, I can think of at least two things that stand in my way. The first thing is that I've, and I probably have kind of grown up with this, this understanding of evangelism, like telling other people about Jesus as being an argument, right? Like, I need to have all the answers, and we'll get into this, like, rational debate. Like, is God real or not? Or, like, how can I convince somebody? And that's a lot of pressure, (laughs) So sometimes I would rather not have that conversation with someone if, like, what it comes down to is I need to be smart enough to prove my side of the case. But I'm not sure that that's a healthy way to think about evangelism. Like, sometimes, yes, okay, we have people who are involved in the study of something called apologetics, which isn't that how to say sorry or how to apologize. It it means how to construct a defense of the faith. Can you, does it make rational sense? And again, that's a valid field of work that some people are called to. It can be helpful. 
that's not always the most helpful thing when someone is looking for God or searching for God. It certainly isn't the most helpful thing for me when I try and figure out whether I could be a missionary or not because I don't, I don't feel prepared to do that. And here, though, is where we might need to learn something from the Apostle Paul's example, the great missionary to the Gentiles. And here's the other passage, then, that maybe if you could turn to with me or pull up on your phones. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 1 through 5. Paul writes here at the beginning of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, And I... When I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, okay, first of all, I want to acknowledge that this sounds like a little bit of a humble brag from the Apostle Paul. You, you'll know what a humble brag is. You see a lot of those on Twitter or X or whatever it is now, right? Like, um, boy, uh, I... I just hate doing my shopping because of all my fans off, you know, asking me for an autograph. It is such a rough life, right? Or like, oh, I know, I, I struggle to make time for my family because my business is so successful that I've got to work 90 hours a day because of all the money I make. You know, like, no. <laughs> and, and here, the Apostle Paul, like, Here's the person who's written some of the most eloquent theology that we have from that first century, recorded in the New Testament, his letters to the churches. Like, he knows how to construct an argument. He knows how to, to write and make a speech. Like, this is the same guy, he's in Athens, like the center of philosophical studies in, in, in Greece, and he's there, he's on the, uh, what is it called, the airport. The Arab, Pegas, Arab, the, the hill where all they did all the philosophical discussions, right? Okay, so he's there, and he's able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the finest, you know, Stoic philosophers and the, the, able to talk with them about Jesus. So for Paul to come and say, well, I came among you, and I didn't have eloquent things to say. I didn't have lofty kinds of reasoning. I wasn't here to show my wisdom to the Corinthians. I think, come on, Paul. It's a little bit of a humble brag. Like, you could have done that kind of thing. But I think that's part of the point. Like, to me, it's even more, I don't know, impressive or something that he could have done all those things, but he didn't. Like, when he showed up there in Corinth and he was speaking with the Corinthians, he didn't rely on those things and, and he describes himself in ways that emphasize his humility and his vulnerability while he was with them. He didn't separate himself from them or speak and pontificate from a great place of, of power over them. But he was with them. Like, he was sharing his life with them every day. 
what we might call a ministry of presence today, simply showing up and being with people, sharing life together. And as he was with them, it was with weakness and in fear and much trembling, he says. And although he could have delivered a more complicated message, Paul had resolved to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he shared a very simple message with them, introducing them to Jesus and how and why he died for our sake. So, for us, in our calling to proclaim what God has done for us, our calling not just as priests but also missionaries, it would be a mistake to think that we need to be eloquent or powerful or an exceptionally gifted leader in order to do those things. And you know what? Some of those things can actually be a hindrance. Right? Like... Sometimes I don't really care to talk with someone who already knows everything, right? Like, uh, it feels like they're the teacher and you're the learner and you just can't quite get it straight. Like, that can get in the way of introducing somebody to Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I don't want to say anything, you know, really negative about other Christians, but I guess I have to admit that I'm not, I'm not sure how effective it is um, for some of our friends that show up on the street corner sometimes to yell or harangue people or, you know, try and convince them that how you're do- living or what you're doing is wrong. I think most people already know. Like, deep down in here, like, I think, people know like that's not an argument that we need to make and what it does is trying to put you put yourself in a a place where you're maybe more righteous than them so you can tell them what what exactly what it is you're doing wrong and so you need to change this and I don't from this passage here in the beginning of first Corinthians 2 I don't I don't hear Paul doing that kind of thing he doesn't come in there and get up here and like preach down to them it's like hey I'm just going to talk to you about Jesus, okay? And, and let's do life together. And let's share it in some ways where you might even see some of Paul's fear and his trembling and some of the things where he doesn't know or he doesn't have it all together. For us in our calling to share the gospel with others would be a mistake to think we need to be eloquent or powerful and exceptionally gifted leader, like I said. Um... The evangelist Billy Graham has said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job is to judge and my job is to love. And this is based on John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world according, or concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I found it helpful to try and shift my understanding from believing it's my job to convince someone to sort of argue them into knowing Jesus and instead simply listening to others share their story, telling them, yes, what Jesus has done in my life when I have the opportunity to do so and trusting that God is already at work in their heart and in their life. I don't need to, you know, this language we use sometimes, win 
them over so much as I need to love them as God loves them. Okay, that was all just one thing that stands in the way. (laughs) Okay, there's the second thing. The other thing that might stand in my way is not just the proclamation, but whether I truly believe that it can occur, as Paul writes, and this is in verse 4 here. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Um, my, word, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I believe in the power of Jesus to save and heal. Do you? Yeah, I mean, most of us, yeah, amen, right? We, we believe that. That's, that's fairly easy to affirm. Um, but if I'm, okay, I'm going to try and be really honest. I... I probably would, no, I probably, I would be surprised if Jesus actually did display that power to save and heal. I mean, I believe he can do it, but I have more difficulty living my life with the confidence that he will do it. And I'm challenged by stories like that of Viraj, a follower of Jesus in a high-risk setting in India, and now some of you may have heard this story if you were up to Kitterin, and I don't know was that what that was, maybe two years ago. Uh, we had kind of a regional gathering there. But I want to share his story again. You can find this in the book, Ordinary Disciples, Extraordinary Influence. Um, and this is Viraj speaking, giving a testimony to something that happened in his life. I went into a village to share Jesus. A group of religious, uh, these would have been Hindu radicals, came and began to beat me. One man had a knife. They decided to kill me, but first they asked what my last wish was. I told them I wanted five minutes to pray. I probably would have asked for five minutes to get a head start. (laughs) No, but he asked them, can I have five minutes to pray? I began praying for their families, and again... My prayer probably would have been, Lord, (laughs) I don't know how, but get me out of this. His prayer was for their families, the families of those who had beaten him, who were saying they were going to kill them. I began praying for their families and crying out to the Lord for them. The leader heard this and said, okay, we're not going to kill you today. Um, You'll come to my home and pray for my wife. If she isn't healed then we'll kill you. Out of the frying pan into the fire. I mean, his wife suffered from severe back pain and couldn't even walk. And with great fear, Raj reports, I went to his home and I prayed for his wife and she was immediately healed. The leader repented and came to know Jesus, and his home was on the main highway, and he opened it for others to know about Jesus. In a short time, 68 people were baptized. This new brother then donated land, and another sister gave money, and they built a place for the church to meet. The man who was going to kill me is now the pastor, and God is using this fellowship to establish other churches. Now, what do you make of that testimony? Like, again, being honest, there's a part of me that's like, okay, yeah. We trust that we're proclaiming God's goodness, yes, in simple language, just sharing the story of Jesus, but also have faith 
that we do it by the Spirit, of the Spirit, and of expecting that God can move and exercise his power in mighty ways to, to heal people, to save people. And I don't doubt my brother Viraj who shared this story. Especially when we look at what happened during Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4.23, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every affliction among them. Matthew 9.35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Okay, now, you might be saying, but that was Jesus, right? Was that just to show that he was the Messiah? Well, Matthew 10, verse 1, And he, Jesus, called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. And just a little bit later, that same story, he's saying, and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. And maybe you say, okay, but that was then. That was, you know, way back then. But even in Acts uh, chapter 4, and this is after Jesus has returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come, Acts 4, 29-31, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And even here, in this case, in Corinth, when Paul went there, he had a very simple proclamation, but it was accompanied by this... Um, demonstration of the spirit and of power and again that's so that our faith not rest what not just on the wisdom of men but it would rest in the power of God well okay one last objection here if I was intimidated first of all by not knowing how to argue the faith or prove the existence of God, I may be even more intimidated to think that we should be healing people and casting out demons in our ministry. But I also want to make it clear that it's, just like it's not our job to convince or convict somebody else, let's also be clear that we are not the ones who are doing the healing or control when or how the Holy Spirit shows up. But just because we can't control it doesn't mean that we can't or we shouldn't pray for it. So I'm, I'm content here to not know how this whole thing works, right? Like, I wish I could have more eloquent explanation of how this all works, or here's the formula, or here's exactly what you do, and I don't, I don't have that for you today. But I believe God has done it. I've seen the difference that God has made in people's lives. Like, it's, it's so real. Like, and there are things that have happened to me where God has said, okay, you should do this. Like, take this step. Even if it doesn't make sense now, like, and it's worked out. And it's worked out when people have shared things with me that I don't know where they got it from, except God was saying, well, you should share this word. 
and it's been right on. And I, there's no other way that I can explain it except that God somehow gave them that word, gave them that knowledge to share with me at an important time that it made a difference in my life. Like, so I believe God does this. But you know what, it's maybe better that I don't know how it works exactly. Because then it would be mine. Like then I could decide when I want to use it and when I don't and who deserves it and who doesn't. But that's not my job. That's not our job. Our job is to show up, to love people, to live with them, to not try to be eloquent at the expense of compromising that message about who Jesus is and the healing that he wants to do in everybody's lives. And at the same time, just one final thought here. This summer, as we met together at Regen, um, we had the two Ethiopian gentlemen who were with us. One of them was Gishu Jabacha, a principal leader of a seminary in Ethiopia. And he said, if we've been given a divine task in proclaiming the gospel, why do we think we can accomplish a divine task with human power? If we have a divine task to fulfill, then we can only accomplish it through divine power. So that's where I am this morning. Like I'm not always sure that I want to claim the title of a priest. Definitely not sure I always want to claim the title of being a missionary. And yet this is part of our calling. And we work it out not just on our own strength because I'm some kind of a great guy or like I want people to like me enough that maybe they'll like Jesus too. No, it's, that's not what it's about. It's simply talking to others about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and, and praying for God to come, for the Holy Spirit to move with power to bring that kind of healing and deliverance. Could you join with me in a word of prayer? God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord, that this is a calling that I can step into. Not one that demands things of me that I don't have. But simply to know you, to love you, and to share that with those who are around me. And the power that you offer Lord, I'm so glad that I don't have to decide when and how it's used or when it, your Holy Spirit moves, but I do trust in you, and I trust in your goodness to come and act with power to bring about that salvation, to bring about that healing and that deliverance that we know that, that your, your heart breaks for us and for people around us when we aren't coming to you for that wholeness and that healing and that salvation. So Lord, in just simple ways, I pray that you would open our eyes to see ourselves, like Paul, not needing lofty words of wisdom, but just sharing what we have to share. Tell about our experience, to encourage one another, to encourage those around us, and then leave room for your Holy Spirit to work, and do something more than we could even ask or imagine to bring about that wholeness and that healing in those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.